Welcome to the Hotel Moment Podcast, presented by Revenate, the podcast where we talk to leaders in the hospitality industry. If you're looking for trends, perspectives, and stories from leaders in travel and hospitality, you're in the right place. Welcome, everyone, to the Hotel Moment Podcast. I am your host, Karen Stevens, the Chief Revenue Officer of Revenate. On this podcast, we speak with people from the hospitality industry about their perspectives, insights, and experiences. And having been in the industry myself for over 20 years, I'm always excited to speak with people in the industry and get their point of view. So let's get right to it. So we are today in the middle of budget season, and we've had a few guests on this podcast as of late from the vendor side of the house. I am very excited to be joined today by Jonathan Cap, who is the Chief Revenue Officer of Charlestown Hotels. So we are getting some uh, perspectives from the hotelier side of the house today. So welcome, Jonathan, to the podcast. Thank you, Karen. Excited to be on today. Budgets, uh, you know, scaring me a little bit, but uh, yeah, we're gonna, we'll be prepared <laughs> to talk about it. I'm really excited that you made some time because I know, especially when you're talking about from a hotel perspective, it's all about spreadsheets and revenue numbers and so we're really excited to, to dig in. Just for our listeners out there, I know most people are familiar with Charlestown uh, Hotels, but could, could you give us like kind of a high-level view of what the brand stands for and, and where you focus? Yeah, we're a third-party, mainly independent management company focused in the boutique lifestyle space. And a lot of our properties you'll see are less than 200 keys and, and secondary and tertiary markets. We cross over to the, to the soft brand world some. Obviously, we do some branded hotels, but you know, our expertise comes by the way of those independence or that lifestyle division, as well as a heavy presence actually in the collegiate markets and the seasonal markets as well. Very cool. And I should say that you're also a customer. So I want to thank you for your partnership. It's very awesome to have our customer on the call. Appreciate it. All right. So we are going to dig into budget, but before we get into all of that, I first want to hit on Five questions that I ask all of my guests when they first come on, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. So you're going to know the answers to all of these, um, but we'll start with the first one. So when did you first start working in the industry, and do you remember your first day on the job? I remember my first month, a little bit of, you know, funny trial by fire in the sense that I was 14 or 15 in high school, first job in a hotel. And actually, Funny enough, a hotel that was opening. So it wasn't an opening yet. I grew up in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, you know, big tourism destination and uh, knew that this hotel needed someone. I was going to do breakfast. I was going to work by the pool. I was going to do multiple things. But when I, you know, started, they were like, oh, we haven't opened yet. So you're going to be just helping the opening team. So we're talking about, you know, 14, 15 stories. I didn't realize like, you know, you couldn't use the elevator when we're working. So what I remember is like, Best workout, best shape of my life. I was, you know, up and down stairwells all day, putting soaps in rooms, putting towels, delivering sheets, carrying mattresses. So, you know, at that age, I love the uh, manual labor. I love the exercise. So it was good. And then, you know, you talk about a hotel going into opening, which a lot of people are familiar with. It was just everything you did in those first weeks and months of, uh, you know, I was there at 430, you know, figuring out breakfast and then jumping on the desk. And then, you know, when a guest needed something that we just weren't used to having, it was all those things in my first job, in my post hotel experience. So I recall that a lot because now in a corporate position, I try to put myself in those shoes. COVID was a good example of that, of like, man, even a hotel opening in normal times was like so mind blowing to me at a young age that, 
you know, knowing what our our teams go through now, it was super formative for my early years in, in this industry. Yeah, that's so cool. Actually, really starting from the ground up, so to speak, <laughs> you know, and at such a young age is really cool. Having that operational knowledge and I know a lot of people in this industry start in one place and end up, like I said, now you're in corporate and you're kind of looking at a high level view as CRO, but that is, that is awesome experience. It's great. Okay. Second question. What is the most uplifting moment so far in your career? Probably where I'm at now um, and having come through the industry a little bit and worked with some people, I think it's, you know, there's a, there's a few people I've I feel like worked with me, worked alongside of me that have come into their careers, come into their, even their personal lives. I've gotten connected to a few people pretty close, you know, where we, they, you know, came up through an intern and, you know, a good example is it is a, an employee that was at a front desk that showed interest in, in revenue management years ago, you know, worked his way through the desk, came to the corporate office, went to get his MBA, did an internship with us, came on with us as a revenue manager. And now he's, you know, kind of taken that was successful with us as a revenue person. And then the entrepreneurial spirit led him to start his own company. And he's really successful with that. So a couple of examples of like that of people who are close to me who I stay in touch with of just seeing them, you know, go on. It, 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 it's definitely uplifting to me every time I'll see a LinkedIn post by that person or how well they're doing. I really like that. Wow. Being able to mentor and, and grow people's career really from the very start. So yeah, that's another, again, going back to just the industry itself. I think we really love homegrown homegrown expertise coming up and uh, that's great. That's great that you can mentor in that way. All right. Number three, what is the most striking experience so far in terms of food or stay or a holiday that you've personally gone on, either business travel or with your family? What's kind of your top top trip or experience? You know, for me, and I probably your last one, the uplifting moment, personally, I'll, I'll cross over with that and say that is great for me, right? I, I have two kids and being able to travel with them in this industry and, and them have access to some of our great properties and see things that I know I didn't see at that age and just experience it. So, you know, a summer ago, we went to Chicago and I think our thing is, is putting itineraries together for us. So we had a great call it week in Chicago, where we bounce around a few of our properties. And we have a great property out in Lake Forest. It's a corporate property. It's unassuming, but it's built like an old English inn. And the service is just top notch. So my, my daughter got to experience a tea service. My son and I biked to the lake and then took a kayak out. So I guess to cross over two of those, same thing happened in Denver over Thanksgiving last year. You know, We got to hike the Red Rocks Park and my kids got to see two hotels and one of them, it was really cool for bunk. So I think for me, you know, the striking is, is, is striking every time we get to do that kind of together. And I see their reaction to, you know, something really cool or an experience where I'm like, man, this, this industry has provided that. And, you know, when you find something unassuming, it's almost like not to give him a nod because he's very successful, but like a guy Fieri finds diners, drive-ins and dives. When you, when you hit on that kind of, and you're not picking you know, the top five trip advisor attractions in every town that you're, you know, a hike on a beautiful morning is, is what does it. Those, those strike me a lot. Yeah. Hey, let's go ahead and call out those hotels just for anybody listening who might know where those gems are. Absolutely. The Lake Forest is, is the deer path in, and we have some other stuff in Chicago. The Majestic Hotel is, is right down from Wrigley. So again, immediately my connotation with the Majestic Hotel is my son and I going to Wrigley Field and me taking him to his first baseball game, right? So the hotel's unassuming, 
you know, that one, a little bit of opposite of the deer path. It's not a lot of frills, but it, it serves a purpose in that market, in that neighborhood. And then Denver, we have two. We have two what we call origin properties. One is in Red Rocks, right by the amphitheater in Golden. And the other one is Westminster. And, and both very similar, offering similar room types where they have those cool bunk rooms and perfect for my family and I. That's great. Red Rocks is my favorite concert venue in the country. So I'm from Colorado originally, actually. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, but that is my favorite. It is, I mean, what an amazing place to see a show. I mean, it's so beautiful and sound is great. You can't beat it. I, I'm dying to do this. Funny, like, I'm going to sit here and say I haven't done that. I've been to the park like six times as I've done work trips out there, but hiking it, just sitting out there during the day when the park's open as a revenue person, gosh. I'm, you know, I'm not hoping for you to not have podcast listeners, but every time I walk into there, I'm shocked that it's free to like go through that park during the day. And, you know, you go to national parks, you go to state parks and there's like a fee. And I'm like, as a revenue person, I'm counting the heads and like, like they could be doing something really well here, but I'm great that it's free for now, but I've never done it. So it's on my list. Yeah, definitely got, that's got to be on your list. That's a fantastic place. Cool. All right. Now this is a really fun one. Have you met any celebrities while you were in the trenches? I mean, Karen, you know, the revenue people are usually behind the scenes. It's funny, my wife's been in the business a little bit. So unassumingly, we when we lived in Fort Lauderdale, we were at an opening party and um, we got on the elevator with some celebrities and I didn't realize it. I'm trying to remember. It was uh, Penn Badgley when he was with, I could mess this up. So I got to be careful. I think it was Blake Lively. I think those two were together at one point way back in the day. And then my wife told me afterwards. So you know, I'm a, I'm a sports junkie. My daughter and I got to meet Jerome Bettis when we were in Pittsburgh one time. So that was really cool for me on a, you know, call it work slash personal trip. I'll say my big miss. And, you know, I'd maybe ask this back to you because I've asked my colleagues this. I was just traveling for work and Michael Jordan's racing team was holding a meeting at the same hotel I was at. And that would be my ultimate, probably, right? But then I asked myself, as my colleagues asked me, like, what would you do? And I don't have an answer for that yet. I don't know if I had the bucket list of coming across a celebrity or a sports figure that I always want to meet, how I would act or interact. I don't know if it's a photo, if I would just like say what's up, like, or I would just crumble into a ball. I'm not sure right. yet. Right. Well, I'll tell you, mine was I, I saw Joe Montana in the lobby of, of a hotel in New Orleans when the 49ers were in the Super Bowl. So they lost to the Ravens, unfortunately. But I was in the lobby and I saw Joe Montana and my reaction was just to go, oh, boy, there's Joe Montana and like take a really horrible picture <laughs> from the side. Hey, um, at <laughs> so least it's documented. <laughs> you know, I didn't have the guts to like there are a lot of people surrounding him, but I didn't have the guts to go up there. But it was fun. And I thought you'd appreciate that because you like sports. So there you go. That's great. Now, that would be a good one. That would be a really good one. Okay. Last question for the warm-up. Who are the women at work you've been most inspired by? Um, we might need a minute on this one because I have a few. You know, it starts on the home front. So obviously my wife and what she does every day, I got to give a credit to that. But she's been in the business too. She actually switched from a, a catering position in weddings to HR a great transition there was meant for her, but also my mother, you know, that job I mentioned when I started, my mother's been in the business my whole life in hotels and in hotel management. So I kind of took from her and saw hospitality through her, you know, and what I'll remember about that is like the times I'd go to like work with her, or I'd stop by, like she always reminds me and she was always that person that, and this is where we say that some technology could push us out of this 
brain, but she was always like the, the grab the coffee pot in the morning to go refill a guest coffee and talk to a guest, right? Like, and I still, she's still in the business to this day. I still see that when I see her, you know, I go back to her hotel and bring my kids there. And like her interaction with guests is just none other. And obviously the root of the, the business that we're in. So I think I learned a lot of that people side of the business. And I even sell to my team. I mean, people see revenue people as, you know, spreadsheet people, et cetera. But there's an internal relationship building to this job that's that's none other. And I think, you know, 50% of the job for some of my team between communication to general managers and sales teams. So I think she imparted a lot on that of that on me, but also just her hard work and, and grind towards what is a tough business. And then I just can't leave without saying, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a group of strong females on my own team, five of my nine revenue team members. I mean, they're great. I love working with them every day. And we just got back from Denver in July for a company general manager summit. And I got to spend a lot of time. Our 2021 GM of the year was a female who runs our property up in Hamilton, New York, the Colgate Inn. She's done an amazing job there of, of transitioning an older end to, to really being the spotlight of that town. So I, I'd say, you know, the answer is I'm, I'm surrounded by amazing females from my personal life growing up to, to even now. I mean, it's, 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 it's really great. That's great. So let's give that GM a shout out, GM of the year. So what's her name and what's her property? Kendra Young. Yeah, Kendra Young. She's at the Colgate Inn in Hamilton, New York, and actually transitioning to where we're going to have two properties in that same area run by her. So there'll be another one in the town as well. Very cool. Well, congratulations. That is awesome. Okay, great. So thank you for that. So let's move on. So I know, you know, we we share a similar title. So Chief Revenue Officer. I know what that means for me because I work for a SaaS company. So I know how, you know, I run sales, CS, and marketing. Um, Primarily, I'm a salesperson, but can you tell me what that means for you, a chief revenue officer of a hotel company? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I've even thought about defining that a little bit more. As a smaller company for us, it does cross some lines and, and draw some lines. So, you know, most importantly, overseeing our, our top line revenue production, right? How, our, how the top line room revenue for our properties operates. We have some food and beverage leaders, so they're, you know, they take heavily ownership of that. And I oversee a revenue team of nine, but my my dotted lines and my crosses are also to our director of technology, which, as you know, maybe in the marketing, I think what we've learned from revenue in the marketing side is so much of that tech crosses the revenue space. So I've actually taken a technology side underneath me while we have a chief marketing officer in sales as well. Uh, there's a, a big piece of sales that slides up underneath revenue. I think the thing for us is a little bit of a balance because we are not a lot of huge resorts. We're more independent properties. And you know our sales presence is a little bit smaller in most places, but we do have sales teams throughout a few of our properties and kind of some support and guidance comes up through our revenue team. Oh, great. Well, thank you for that. So I'm sure that as we kind of alluded to at the top of the call, we are in the middle of budget season now. So my first question is, you know, how is 2022 different from previous years? And I don't just mean the COVID, you know, obviously COVID was a factor, but what are you seeing this year compared to like 2019? Is there anything that's really been a shift change for you? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, we're in some bigger markets, right? We have a few. I mentioned Chicago earlier. I mentioned Denver earlier, but a lot of our other stuff has been secondary and tertiary. So I like to think in... I, you know, I hate to get on talks or, you know, respond to articles where it sounds braggadocious in a way. You know, we had some stuff in late 2020 start coming back. When you had some of those seasonal markets, 
you know, call it Florida, call it beach markets, call it the hidden gems where people were getting out of cities. Luckily for us, we had some stuff in those markets. So we saw this triple trickle effect of a rebound in late 2020, early 2021, when like spring break was coming, right? So we've had a, a good presence of, you know, seeing some little markets come back. Now, what I'd say about 2022 is like, we feel you've seen signs from every market now. You've seen some of the major markets rebound. We've finally seen a, a stabilized, call it collegiate schedule where all collegiate games are back. The the colleges are, are mostly back to normal. It's even funny to say some some are not in the sense of, you know, dormitory setups, et cetera. But our our balance is is kind of been, you know, I guess positively for us is can we hold of what we've seen some properties that have hit peaks, right? We we have had some properties hit all time highs in twenty one and or twenty two. So you know, my my question and another role, I guess I didn't define, especially when it comes to development, right? We'll have a project right now that needs underwriting, the same as we need, call it underwriting or budgeting for next year. And what does that look like for a market that saw a 15% rebound and then a five this year? And then now, you know, if they're stabilized and their competition hasn't for all data speaking, what where does that land us? So a lot of the questions has been, you know, national numbers aside, right? And I can go on a, a little bit of a tangent on that. But, you know, for us, when you look at national projections, it's never been, you know, how, how we, and I don't say people define themselves. I think it's, it's always in the back burner to an owner and the major markets could always kind of fall in that, right? When, when the markets were stable and we had a good three to five years there, you could look at their FPAR guidance and be like, all right, it's three and a half percent. It's mostly an ADR. We're probably going to see something similar, right? Well, we couldn't rely on that in some of our secondary markets ever. But now I think everyone's in that boat, right? It, that everyone's got to take a, a sub-market look or even a drill down to their comp set look and be like, I got to define what these four to five hotels are going to do because it's going to tell me where I'm positioned and what I'm going to do. Right. So that that kind of tails on to my next question. So when you look at market forecast, you kind of mentioned regional versus national forecast. So you hit on it there a little bit, but what is your recommendation for hoteliers when they start to look at the regional level? Like how do you break that down and give instruction to your team to be able to forecast accurately on that? Yeah, you know, you always start or you get into a conference and you're like, and like they always do the, you know, don't share your data, you know, let's not conspire, you know, asterisk or, you know, caveat. And I, I started thinking the other night, I'm like, man, I wonder if it was an easier data world when there used to be like call arounds and things like that. I don't know if you remember that from those days, but that it's funny in reverse. That's the level we're trying to get to. And for those that don't know, long before, you know, digital tracking, there were spreadsheets at hotels where they'd call around to hotels in the market and get occupancy and ADR levels. A lot of it was just to share when it was compressed that you could give your fellow person in the industry a piece of business. But, you know, as the revenue mine started to pop up for some of these hotels, they realized they had performance data for, for your, you know, neighboring hotels. And that's where we're trying to get right. I'm trying to get my team to the point where they watch a comp set throughout the whole year. And this is where I try to get with an owner in development. So it's the same exercise, right? Let's just stay flat. You pick four competitors. You pick your four best competitors and you're looking at it from an indice standpoint, right? What is my fair share 
to what I know of those four competitors doing it. You can get a lot from Smith Travel Research. You can get, you know, projections from CBRE. There's a lot of, you know, companies out there that have their own data that they feel that they can kind of tell you how markets perform. But let's just say they give you that these four hotels or this market's performing at X. So that doesn't do enough for me because, you know, what we find a lot in the markets we compete in is there'll be outliers, right? There'll be one hotel that's just performing off the charts and it's bringing up the average of the other three or one at the bottom. So our real goal is to say, what are those four doing and how do we index or penetrate to those four and or each individual? Because if the one's throwing it off the chart and we think we should be right underneath them, what does that look like? And I think the the misnomer is people think when you create a comp set that you're just creating it to get your fair share, you're creating it to get a hundred. And to be honest, most of our properties and the comp sets we face are never that hundred, right? We have goals that are 220 for a REFAR index and we have some that are 80 and we have one that's like right at 70 and that's the right share because of what it does. And I'll add to that, I, I put a lot of emphasis on my team to really knowing what what a true SWOT analysis and what the details of that property are and then put it to the general manager, right? Like, what do they have that we don't? Like, you know, does an owner think, think we're that hotel? I got a good instance where, you know, an owner and I were just back and forth on on what we truly deemed as those goals. And it turns out that like what he thought was the best hotel and that we should be even with them. Well, come to find out they have a year round indoor pool. They had bikes, they had a spa and they had access to 36 holes of golf. And we didn't have any of those, maybe the bikes, but it was just the point of like, did we know that? Was that enough to line us up? Is that why guests are booking with them? And in asking all those kind of questions, you can kind of come to an inference of if a location and quality of products all the same, what are the differentiators? And defining all that really will help position your product against your deemed competitors. Yeah, that's that's great insight. I think it, that's something that folds into that as well as understanding your your customer segments, right? So which customers, which piece of the business is going to resonate with your property? So can you talk to us a little bit about segmentation and how you think about that, kind of folded into the forecasting and the other things you're doing? Yeah, same context. So I just had a conversation, it's Wednesday, Monday, about this this same instance with a, a revenue person on our team. You know, they we have a property that that sits out at a different location, is about 50 less keys in the comp set. And the general manager, someone pinged us on, is our in, indices off? We seem to be lagging a little bit in occupancy. So as we dove into segmentation, realizing and looking at, you know, we had a, a comp set that averaged each hotel probably averaged five to 10,000 more square feet of space than us. They were in more of the corporate part of the market. And, and that one, look, the joke on marketing is that you get to make a lot of assumptions and you oversee marketing. So fun game to say, you know, uh, <laughs> we have to make the assumption at some point, right? But you make the assumption with qualified data on locations and et cetera to say, all right, well, they, there's two Fortune 500 companies within three blocks of these hotels. They're not within ours. Is the likelihood that all the business we see through a, you know, agency 360 going into the market is going into theirs. And there's another tool that you could say, you know, kind of leads you to, to make those assumptions, right? You define a comp set, you put it in there. So yeah, we took a look at segmentation and felt like for our hotel, we had the right performance, but what we were missing via star wasn't an occupancy number. 
we were actually not getting a segment of business that they were getting that probably with the the location and their brand versus our location, our brand wasn't going to be an extreme possibility to flip the tables. Right. So that's a very good point. So there's segments in terms of corporate versus leisure. And then there's also like, what kind of customer do you resonate with within that? Right. So we, we at Revenate are always focused on knowing your guests and understanding who's booking your hotel, what channel they're coming in on, how long they're staying. And I think all of that folds in, but I think that's really insightful because people could be looking at a star report and saying, why am I not capturing that piece of business? Well, you need to think about what segments are going into that other hotel and then maximizing the segments that you actually can get a piece of, right? I mean, for us, COVID may be the ultimate example of understanding your segmentation historically and what it looks like going forward. I mean, we're talking about where we have some small properties that I mentioned sales earlier, but they may not even have a salesperson. They may not even have, they may have a boardroom if that and no food and beverage except for breakfast. Some have a bar. You know, you take a place like that that may have done 10 to 15% group before. And then now in the rebound of COVID, that group hasn't come back and you've replaced most of it. So now your question, and that's, you know, back to our bring it full circle in our budgeting question is you've seen a, a segment not rebound completely yet. You've replaced it with a segment. Now you can use it in the world of bets or we say, when do we start hedging, right? Like you, you're, you're riding a high of, well, I'm not taking, call it a, a discount group piece of business anymore to get 10 rooms on the books. I've actually replaced it with an equally spending customer because, you know, we're talking about places that don't have big banquets and catering business. But how how long do I ride that wave of I'm going to turn away group to keep taking this leisure or when am I going to be the one and what are the signs going to be to recognize that that leisure slipping and you're going to need to take some of that group. And it happened this summer a little bit, but all that happened was pace fell off and it still came in at the last minute. So it's almost like you had a false sign there for a second in some of our seasonal markets that pace slipped even more over 21. And you're like, oh, wait, but then it came in at the last minute. Interesting. So yeah, we've heard a lot about that. You've got a really shortened booking window. So people are, you know, getting out They're Just like you said, they're just maybe not planning as much in advance. And there has been some chatter out there about leisure starting to, to come back, like, you know, just at a, at a macro level, a lot of people were trapped in their homes for so long. And now, then <laughs> they took their big vacations this summer and now they have a hangover from that. So I think we are starting to hear directionally that, and then group is coming back, right? Because a lot of people have, a lot of companies have moved trips or conferences because they wanted people to travel this summer. So that that's interesting. I'm wondering, are you seeing any, any case of, because we've got so many people now that are remote working, are your hotels starting to see some of that as well? Because they are kind of in those cool markets where somebody maybe just wants some peace and quiet and can work remote. Yeah, I think I think we see it. You know, if you if you're active in a lot, this this may go back and I keep putting some dates on being in the industry so long. But you know, you go back to the the revenue call, the revenue meeting where you're asking, you know, what is what does it look like? Because there's not a there's not a source segment someone's going to fill fill out or a rate plan that someone's going to book that's like. I'm taking a work trip, but I'm going to mix it into leisure, right? You're going to, you're going to see that through someone working in the lobby, you know, potentially, or just the conversation. So it, it, it's funny. It's almost like we got to force some of those conversations of 
what what brought you here? You know, why why are you why are you visiting us this trip? But yeah, I think we're seeing some. I mean, my activity in the hotels. I think we're seeing some. Of it, I think you can see it through some. This is the the basic data in me talking of how you can see it. It's like the corporate business has that come back, and weekdays are are doing pretty decently, right? So there you go. You've returned. You've returned a Wednesday to traditional Wednesday occupancy without the corporate full corporate business that drove the Wednesday occupancy. So that's me saying. Yeah, I would guess it has to be some of the people doing because I know it's not. I mean, every company in the world hasn't gone to unlimited PTO. So those people all just can't be visiting some of these markets leisurely. But I think there is something to that without overreacting and be like, yeah, everyone's traveling and putting business behind it. Right. So it's leisure, I guess, is the the buzzword. Right, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a hard time saying it. I saw another one the other day. It's just already that one for me. I, I hesitated when we talked earlier to say boutique because like that word got gobbled up by the industry. And then it's, you know, it's got such a broad meeting and the leisure thing, you know, I don't know yeah. that we can adopt it as an industry. There, there's another good one floating around and now I can't remember for life of me, but I liked it so much more. So maybe we'll find something. Okay. Maybe that'll come up, come up as we keep yeah. talking. Yeah. It's like, is leisure right. going to be the new segment? And Jonathan's vote is hopefully not. Yeah, no. <laughs> So let's move on. What about tech adoption? I mean, obviously a technology company over here. So do you think that hotels are going to be investing in technology uh, for 2023? And beyond what hoteliers likely do, what do you think the right approach should be when they're thinking about their tech stack? Yeah, I had this conversation last week because I think we were getting into the adoption age. We were right there, right? Like 19 felt like we were going to start breaking some cusp. I've attended you know, a few high techs over the last few years. And you just, you felt like there was just a break in the space where, you know, either companies were were growing, you know, like yours and some others, or there was some disruptors entering the space where it like wasn't a traditional hospitality company, it was a tech company. And, you know, we've had some cool stuff open up to, to the technology in the space. But I, I would say that with the concern of, as we talk about budgeting, in the sense that, you know, if there's another buzzword in the industry or, you know, across all companies globally is labor, right? That uptick in labor, you know, has been so dramatic and so quick. I worry that it pushes the the tech adoption down. Now, my my asterisk on that will be, you know, it might push it might push any new initiative down. A lot of times the new initiatives are in a sense of I, I think tech related these days, they feel they feel more of that in the space. Is that I think two things. I think in a lot of times in the tech space, it's hard to quantify the value in a one-year picture. So doing it in the in the process of a budgeting process is not exactly the big sell, right? Because you need to show a, a two to three-year impact. So I think the thing for me is, is to not get that cut is it may take a little extra work. It may take doing a, a one-year budget and a, a three-year pro forma and saying, well, here's Here's how that looks to impact year two and year three. Because I don't think a lot of times you're going to put a new system or adopt a new tech and you're three months in and it's going to knock out an FTE all of a sudden, right? You're not, the the robots delivering towels aren't just taking up a, a houseman position in the first three months. I mean, probably still holding a position because someone needs to, to to load it and do other things. So I think there's just some time it takes for those things. And I think the the sell to leadership to ownership is that you know this is a long term impact. It, it puts us on an equal footing or puts us a leg up. 
it provides value to the guest. You know, it's not always a, a labor replacement or something to that effect or an expense savings. It, it might support a value. So I think, you know, for someone to put their sales hat on and say, you know, what is the piece that it's bringing all across the board, right? And does it not a, only impact a savings piece, but also a guest facing piece? I, I do think that anytime you look at technology, you have to ask the question. Obviously, it's got to be ultimately profitable for the for the business, right? It's got to it's got to make sure that you keep profitability in there, and also guest experience is very important. That's got to be at the center of it. Um, but I love this idea of looking at you know it goes into budget for one year, but what is the return over two or three years? Because a lot of times it's about making sure that you're you're also thinking ahead of the curve and that you're preparing yourself for the, for the next round of, of whatever comes. Maybe not always about replacing a full-time employee. There might not be a full, you know, you might have issues staffing in the first place, you know. So are there tools that can maintain guest experience but still help with the staffing shortage? And But I, I, I love that concept. It's not always like a one-to-one re- ratio, right? You have to think about it a little bit differently. Yeah, and I think the other thing is some of that money is is going to end up going to protecting vulnerabilities, which is the unfortunate case too, right? It's always like you think about the things that aren't guest facing. I always put it like, you know, a new chiller, right? You hear it from engineering and you need a new chiller or the roof needs to be replaced. Well, you're not going to go throw it on the website and have a pop-up and be like, hey, guests, we just, you know, made sure the roof didn't leak. So, <laughs> you know, we're going with five more dollars on, on our pricing this year, right? So, you know, there's going to be some of those things. Then that may be the second level of battle is like how deep you go in the cyber protections and, and the security vulnerabilities that, you know, as we grow as an industry and as there's APIs to, to 30 different systems and as you're bringing in all this great new tech, the the servicing of it and the malware behind it and the protection of it, of you and your people has to grow. And that's something that's, you know, constantly on our director of technology's mind is just as much as we're rolling these out, what are the SOPs? What are what are what are the protections behind it to always make sure our guests are protected, whether it's from a pure safety standpoint, but mostly on on the cyber standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to make sure that your data your your data is your number one asset, right? It's it's your number one asset. It's also your number one vulnerability. And we say that a lot at Revenue. You know, it's like Data I was going to say, you guys are probably in that so heavily, oh, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah, we have a whole team that, you know, we make sure that everything that we do, we, we run tests on ourselves constantly and obviously work with great vendors ourselves that have all those securities in check because that is our number one asset. And it's also, you know, the thing that has to be most protected because we're, we're holding that data for our customers. So that's taken very seriously, very, very seriously. All right. So to wrap this up, can you think about maybe three to five areas for hoteliers to pay special ap- attention to as we're in the middle of this budget season and coming to the end? So what, is, what are your, kind of your pieces of advice to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I, I'll kind of stay on the home front and kind of where I'm focused is, is one, as much as you want to forecast and put out there what's next year, I think the current picture is telling us, you know, what is what does this last end of this year look like and how well does that carry? So as you're we're talking about booking windows inside of 30 to 45 days, the trend of that continuing and, and how does that continue in support your budgeting. So that performance and a good fall may be looking to an upside of, of carrying into the winter into the first part of next year. And also, you know, taking a breath and saying, as you'll see out there, as numbers change, we don't, there's not a crystal ball floating out there that will transition me to say, you know, 
dive as deep in to your sub-market and your comp set as you can because defining yourself and your positioning and what you and your competitors do in the moment, I think is the biggest driver for me in, in knowing that because you can put an assumption on all day. You know, everything goes with assuming no national market economic backturn, you know, kind of play things. The the slowing environment may be okay versus because, you know, no one no one could say that right now. We're not into that. We don't want to say that. So, you know, what does that look like in, in those short-term pictures? And what does that, that comp set look like? And I think to close it where we closed it on the tech side, I'd say, you know, go for those, right? Continue looking at those innovative processes, whether it's on the forefront or on the back of scenes where, you know, maybe it's a technology that makes your staff communicate better, makes them stronger, or maybe it's guest facing and it makes the experience that much better. But knowing that there's a lot of good players in our industry that can support that, there's some great tech out there and that, you know, don't let that overcoming of, of now you're looking at a budget that's just gone so much up by labor that it, you know, slows down your tech adoption when right now we're at a good point in our industry to, you know, kind of move that forward. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much. My guest has been Jonathan Caps with Charlestown Hotels. And Jonathan, is there, can you tell our listeners where to go if they'd like to learn more about Charlestown Hotels? Yeah, charlestownhotels.com. Just maybe spell it out just for the trick. Uh, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-T-O-W-N-E, hotels with an S.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. You've been, a, you've been a great guest and I wish you luck getting through this season and, and thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Karen. It was a great. Thank you for listening to the Hotel Moment Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe for more content. For more information, head to hotelmomentpodcast.com. The Hotel Moment Podcast is presented by Revenate and produced by Make More Media.